0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and this is the 1853 podcast, a program in which we tell you about the people, events, programs, and history that make Monmouth an outstanding national liberal arts college. In this 17th edition of the 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year and the first of the 2021 spring semester, we'll preview a great upcoming online event that's going to be on February 2. It's hosted by the Monmouth Alumni Association. We'll also hear from Student Body President Abiara Miner. She'll talk about Scott's care, a great example of Scott's helping Scott's. Among the many celebrations disrupted by the pandemic in 2020 was the planned centennial celebration by the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Missouri. But thanks to Monmouth College Alumni Association, you can learn more about the Negro Leagues and how they shaped the national pastime. On Tuesday. February 2, Monmouth alumnus Raymond Doswell will give a talk online, and it's called Black Baseball and Black History. His talk, which begins at six o'clock in the evening central time, is free, but you need to register for it online, and you can do that by going to monmouthcollege.edu slash alumni slash events. Raymond, who's a 1991 Mammoth graduate, went on to earn a master's degree and then a doctorate. He's vice president of curatorial services for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And if you haven't been to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, it's a great place to visit the next time you're in Kansas City. In fact, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is so impressive that it's a reason to visit Kansas City in the first place. Ray's talk for Monmouth College will touch on Black Americans' involvement with the game of baseball from the 1880s until about the 1960s. And as Ray points out, that's a great way to learn about American history as well.
1: We emphasize what was called the Professional Negro Leagues, uh, which um, we recognize uh, the primary organization is 1920 to 1960. It is a a story that's deeply rooted in the American past, not just baseball, but understanding African-American history as it connects to the great migration story of African-Americans. And uh, what we will see are parallels in small ways uh, to what happened uh a hundred years ago and many issues that unfortunately we're still dealing with as far as race and reconciliation but at the same time learning about great athletes and folks who uh persevered over some really difficult odds to create uh, a very enterprising and successful business and that business ultimately helped pave the way for integration not just in sport but in society
0: As Ray points out, baseball is a rich topic for historians because it tells a big part of the American story. That's been true since the 1940s when Harold Seymour earned the first doctorate from an American college in history by studying the game of baseball. And there's plenty of room for more scholarship, especially studying the Negro Leagues.
1: Baseball, baseball parallels the growth of our society you can and like jazz in many respects it does tell the american story these are two uniquely american uh enterprises if you will baseball in particular um uh, can be marked in parallel with the industrial revolution um the growth of cities uh the growth of immigration the growth of migration, as it, and particularly with African Americans, um, the growth of urban development from the standpoint of of what cities value, uh, if they, uh, in terms of infrastructure and things like that, and, and sports arenas are kind of part of that discussion. Um, at the same time, in spite of our differences, uh, it has kind of been a I don't want to say neutral ground but a place in which uh there is there are common interests no matter what your ethnic backgrounds or or political interests are especially in our urban communities people still tend to root for the same sports teams um and it's that that dynamic that i think draws a lot of people to wanting to study it and understand this dynamics um in some respects, baseball in particular is a, a parallel and a trailblazer when it comes to understanding race relations uh, and the impact of segregation and integration on America, uh, as it as it was a popular leisure activity that became, as Seymour said, a, an, an industrialized amusement. Uh, I believe those were his words. Um, and uh, Again, wildly popular among many social, economic and ethnic groups in our country uh, since its beginnings. And and, and that's something that um, allows for a good study of America uh, to balance with more detailed studies. uh, You can look at it in microcosm and extrapolate quite a few things. It's how it affects the broader history and how the broader history is affected upon it as well as both uh,
0: a leisure activity and an industry. You're listening to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Office of Communications and Marketing. We're chatting with Monmouth alumnus Ray Doswell. He's vice president of curatorial services for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. He's going to give what promises to be a great online talk about blacks and baseball. That will be on the evening of February 2, and you can find more about it in the events section of the monmouth College Alumni homepage, mammothcollege.edu/alumni. The teams that participated in the Negro Leagues were owned and operated by some of the great American business people of the 1900s. Their accomplishments were even more remarkable given the nation's segregation and Jim Crow laws. And as Ray points out, that starts with the legendary Rube Foster.
1: And so ownership in particular of these teams is something that is grossly under-researched, but there are some unique folk uh, who were part of the business of Negro League baseball and had to be innovative in order to maintain uh, the status of these of these teams. Um, of note uh, is Andrew Foster, better known as Rube Foster, who was one of the co-founders of the Negro National League. He was a great player in his own right and then developed into a great manager and business leader in black baseball was able to create partnerships with uh, white baseball teams and use larger stadiums all these different things that these black teams had to do to overcome uh, segregation uh, use of ballparks uh, uh, train travel and segregated conditions um, accommodations for teams and segregated conditions and the teams that could master that those those aspects of travel and and, and booking games against competition, both black and white, at least initially. Um, you can master that, you can make money, and you can do that in a segregated America and have the team be sustainable. And those who couldn't quite master that were teams that started and stopped and didn't last very long. So people like Foster uh, were very innovative in what they could do. Um, There were others uh, like J.L. Wilkinson, one of the few white owners from Perry, Iowa, but was the owner of Kansas city Monarchs was well-respected in the community and developed night baseball was one of the first uh, owners and teams with the Monarchs to develop uh, traveling lights and night baseball, even before major league baseball uh, would do it. So um, you had to love the game in order to be involved in it in this way, because you couldn't, uh, it was an amusement industry and it was an attraction, uh, but For the Black teams, it was always about developing professionalism. Otherwise, they would never be seen seriously. Uh, in terms of the opportunities for them to actually get a chance to integrate baseball. And that was always one of the mantras of people like Foster and others, always trying to maintain a professional level of play. Um, but that also had to be counterbalanced at times uh, with the uh, entertainment aspects. And then as a result, you get a number of teams who are clown teams, uh, who also traveled uh, and entertained many audiences, black and white, And they were, they were athletic, they were entertaining, they had great comedic timing, they could do all kinds of things, but there are a number of people who recoiled at them because sometimes they would perpetuate Black stereotypes. Um, But You know, you had to do that to survive in some respects. So it's hard to be in their skin and and, and suggest that this was wrong, what they were doing. Uh, I think where it gets to be a conundrum is that some of those teams had white ownership. uh, And that was always kind of the push and pull of race and baseball in that regard. So uh, innovations like the lights and... um, Um, Having to play multiple doubleheaders and just trying to meet the challenges of traveling in a segregated America just showed the dexterity that these, these people had in order to play a game that didn't always, as some have said, didn't always love them back, but they loved it.
0: Late last year, Major League Baseball officials announced that Major League Baseball would officially recognize seven professional Negro leagues that operated between the years of 1920 and 1948. That decision meant that about 3,400 players of the Negro leagues during that period are going to be officially considered Major Leaguers. More important, their statistics and records will become part of Major League history. Ray was among those who'd always considered the Negro league players to have been major leaguers. Nevertheless, major league baseball's decision is a most welcome one.
1: Some reporters were beginning to ask around and ask major league baseball. Well, shouldn't the Negro leagues be designated as major league and there, and the museum is a consumer of this material as much as anybody else. We don't really maintain statistics uh, because we know that there is never going to be an actual 100% full record statistical record of the Negro leagues. Um, Part of that story is that black teams were not covered on a daily basis in the same way as white baseball teams. What we, the majority of what is available, is through black weekly newspapers uh, that folks have been able to mine and get material. There are a hand, small, small handful of maybe scorebooks. That have survived, we don't have any here at the museum. Other private collectors may have them, or have seen them, or are at other museums. Uh, but never, maybe, a full, complete season, uh, and at best, maybe one season. So, uh, but some very diligent people, separate from the museum, have been working for many, many years trying to pull together as good a statistical record as they could. We came to learn through this reporting, though, and the inquiries by the media to Major League Baseball and others that back in the late 60s, when there was this discussion of creating official records in this way uh, through the different publications like Total Baseball and Baseball Encyclopedia, uh, that the Negro Leagues weren't even considered, Uh, like the federal leagues and some other smaller leagues uh, that go back uh, before the beginning of the National League and American League. Uh, And that's a gross oversight. Um, Now, of course, again, even in the late 60s, although just a few years removed from the Negro Leagues, there was more opportunity to get this information because there was even more players still alive and and newspaper people still alive where they could have gotten it. But I'm sure there wasn't a complete record then. But not to excuse them, it wasn't even a consideration and it wasn't really thought of until recently and so the question was broached to major league baseball they thought about it and they made the decision to make the elevation and what does it mean uh I'll be honest again it wasn't on our radar that it so initially i didn't think a whole lot of it but this was something that really resonated in the baseball community and then actually resonated beyond the baseball community folks who really don't even think about it, it just seemed like something that was like, wow, this is amazing um, uh, that this is happening. And it seems like there's a great sense of pride in the recognition.
0: As I mentioned earlier, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is simply a great place to visit any time of the year. The museum displays lots of artifacts from the leagues, and it also has some wonderful interactive features. After dialing things down during the start of the pandemic races, the museum reopened safely last summer, and it's also added online items as well. And coming up on this Saturday, January 30, the museum will honor the late great Mr. Cub. Ernie Banks would have turned 90 years old on January. January 31, and the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is going to have an event that morning on January 30 on Facebook Live.
1: Um, We've been open since June, and... Open safely uh, with several layers of protocol for everyone's safety. Uh, and for the most part, open without a lot of interruptions of what we might normally offer, with the exception of our primary film uh, that we're not able to show. But folks could see most of the exhibits, and we're adding and changing exhibits uh, as well. Uh, and I've been in a position to add new artifacts as well recently and we'll be adding more so it's a good time to visit come on down kansas city is a great place to visit uh and uh relatively safe in terms of the pandemic right now we're all struggling but uh things are kind of evening out here so if you're Brave enough to come visit, you can. Uh, We are trying to ramp up our virtual programming too. Uh, So you can check us out on our website at nlbm.com and on our Facebook page uh, as well. Just look for Negro Leagues. A baseball Museum on Facebook. Um, and uh, you'll see access to programs or, or events and other things that are happening. And we try to connect things that we know of around the country, too. Uh, but um, we hope to be the fountainhead for uh, uh, celebrations of this
0: history that's Monmouth alumnus Ray Doswell. He's vice president of curatorial services for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, which is in Kansas City. Be sure to catch Ray's online talk about blacks and baseball. That will be on the evening of February 2. It will be held between the hours of 6 to 7 central time online. You can register for the free event in the event section of the Mammoth College alumni homepage. And that address is Monmouth monmouthcollege.edu slash alumni. You can also read a preview of Ray's talk in the news and events section of the Mammoth College website. That address is monmouthcollege.edu slash news. And be sure to check out the website of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Their URL is nlbm.com. listening to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College, I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Office of Communications and Marketing. When the COVID-19 pandemic started, some Monmouth students were hit especially hard. The leaders of the Monmouth College student government, which is known as the Scott Senate, responded by raising more than $23,000 for emergency funds to help their fellow students. Abier Minor is a Mama senior who is president of the Scott Senate. She says that the Scott's care program was a logical thing for Mama students to start to help one another. We
2: realized quickly that there is a lot of financial strain on students. Um, Even if we think about, you know, stimulus and other federal programs, students cannot qualify for that. Um, So we recognize that students were really at a vulnerable state um, in this pandemic, and so we really wanted to create a fund um, um, that couldn't help with that and just um, help some financial security on campus. So yeah, there's definitely some urgency um,
0: during this time. Abir says that she and her classmates were touched that more than $23,000 has been raised so far to help their fellow MAMMA students.
2: We were reaching for the stars, of course. Um, we hoped that it would reach a figure like that. Um, we were okay with something like $7,000 or something a little bit um, lower, but to get to $23,000 and counting is really beautiful. Um, I think it's a really testament to the community strength right now. Um, so we're super appreciative to get
0: to that number for sure. And Abier says that the success of the Scott's Care program is an example of what student government at Monmouth College is all about.
2: I think the purpose of student government is to serve students. Um, And so that is our main focus. All of our programs and initiatives are centered around students and what students are asking for and what we think students need. Um, So yeah, it's definitely student-based. I think um, our student affairs does a really great job of having a social media presence, asking students questions, the hard questions. um, And then we come back and think of ways to address those questions and ways to create solutions. and the fund is definitely one of the ways we do that. We a community-oriented school. Um, one of the things that I think so most of us to Monmouth College is the fact that we are a community. Um, so we do look out for each other and we do take each other seriously. Um, I think that the purpose of doing something like student government or the purpose of doing student leadership is to be able to tap into the needs of the community. Um, So we see a lot of students um, supporting, advocating for us and championing us. And we try to do the same, um, especially with just like some of the programs and initiatives that we do to empower them to use their voice and to be leaders in their
0: own way. So yeah, we're pretty, we're a tight knit group, you know. (laughs) That's I'll be our minor. She's a political science and international studies senior from Chicago. She's also president of the Scott Senate, the Monmouth College student government. And she's the person who's responsible for the great success of Scott's care. To read more about Scott's care, check out the story in the news section of the Monmouth College website, mammothcollegeedu slash news. And that's going to be a 30 for this 17th edition of the Mammoth College 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year. I hope you've enjoyed this program. Tell us what you think by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Until our next edition, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody. Have a nice day and stay healthy.